So when we started looking at the rules of Revelation, we began to realize that there is a lot more in my control than we realize. I think a lot of people have this idea of Revelation where I just sit and wait for him to talk. Little realizing that so much of what I do influences how much he speaks. So in that spirit, in the spirit of what are some of the things that I do to improve Revelation? We started to take a look at, well, for example, you want to improve Revelation, take better care of your physical body. That's something we know in the restoration that so many people don't know. You want to improve Revelation, take better care of the instrument through which Revelation comes. Then we took a look at, okay, if you want to receive more Revelation, one thing that he says over and over and over again in the scriptures is forgive. Part of the burden on your shoulders that's weighing down this flow of revelation is you withholding forgiveness. You are telling Heavenly Father to withhold from you if you withhold from others. And there's the rule. You want revelation to flow quickly. You want that that $22 billion debt to be gone? Then free others quickly of the debts they owe you. Again, revelation in my control. Then last week, I want to just, I just can't help but not point out major patterns that I see in modern day scriptures. So we took a look at that parable of the wheat and the tares. He told the, he told the, the Jews, he told the people in the New Testament this parable of wheat and the tares, which has little to do with them and a lot to do with us expounding on the wheat and the tares, what we've understood is the Savior has a major concern about our days, and that is wheat is growing with tare, and you sometimes can't tell the difference. The whole point of the parable is that wheat and tare are growing together. One is poisonous. One is nutritious. And you can't tell them apart. That's one of the biggest dangers of our lives and of our day. So as I see that, there's four possibilities in me judging whether someone or something is weed or tear. Two possibilities end up with positive results, so we don't really need to talk about them. One possibility is I see wheat, and it is wheat. I judged correctly and brought something into my life that that fed me and nourished me. Another possibility is I see tear, I see poison. I'm, I'm sorry, but you are a poison. I'm keeping you out of my life. And sure enough, time led me to understand that I got it right. I kept a poison out of my life. But the two negatives are worth talking a great deal about. Negative number one, I've got to grab another seat. Okay, we'll sit right over here. We tried to keep three together. (laughs) Negative number one is I see wheat. And what it turns out to be is tear. I got it wrong and it poisoned me. And I wonder if the prominence of this message in our day is Heavenly Father saying, 
how much of the weight and the stress in your life is because you let in a tear and it's poisoning you. Now, the other negative isn't going to poison me, but the other negative is going to starve me. And that is, I see tear and it turned out to be wheat. I don't poison here. This doesn't poison me, but it den I deny myself the nutrition that could have been mine if I welcomed that wheat into my life. Now, the prominence of this story in the Book of Mormon is significant. Who is a great example of a tear that they thought was wheat, and then in the end, the blinders come off and they realize he never was my friend, and I blew it. That's the story of King Noah, one of the most prominent stories of the Book of Mormon. And who is the wheat that they thought was tear and burnt, only to discover too late that where is he? I need him. I desperately need help to get out of this situation. Do you remember why they couldn't find Zarahemla? They didn't know anyone who knew the way. Well, who knew the way to Zarahemla? Abinadi knew the way. And Abinadi would have found the way. I can lead you back to Zarahemla. I can get you out of the Lamanites and back to Zarahemla. But why weren't they able to go back to Zarahemla under Abinadi's direction? Because they burned him. They burned the one that could have led them to their freedom. Do you see the story of Abinadi in all of our lives today? So I think what Heavenly Father is saying in a hear him class, we better address some of the tares dressed up like wheat that are inhibiting a greater flow of revelation. And we better address some of the wheat mistaken as tares that are starving your souls and would allow you a lot more communication with God. So that's where we left off. Any thoughts? That was a heavy subject. It always is, especially probably not what you were expecting to hear in a hear him class, right? Let's talk about feeling the Holy Ghost and singing primary songs in the sweet spirit. But let's eliminate some of the obstacles that will allow me to hear him better and getting rid of the wheat or getting rid of the tares that I have allowed into my life clothed as wheat is going to improve that revelation. Now, I believe there are some people that are tares disguised as, as disguised as wheat that you need to deal with. We all have them in our lives. We've all let the wrong people into our lives. How you correct that situation is going to be a tricky solution. I'll leave that to you. Tonight, what I want to address is the poisonous tares that are poisoning you that you are bringing into your life. You are responsible for the poison that's destroying you. And you wrap up that poison as wheat because it occurs in your head. 
And I certainly wouldn't allow poison into my life. But that's the very thing you're doing. Allowing poison into your life disguised as wheat because in your head you have the freedom to tell the stories you want to tell and no one's there to correct them. So allow me to talk about two poisons tonight dressed up as wheat. The first one, I don't have a title for. And I don't have a lot of scriptures I can point to. And that always makes me a little bit nervous. So allow me to share 30 years of teaching, 30 years of fatherhood, 30 years of being an institute seminary teacher and watching good Latter-day Saints do this to themselves. This has become an obsession of mine. I have only written one book. And it is not a gospel book. It is about this subject tonight because I didn't feel like anyone was addressing it. Don't buy my book. Listen to the class and then go do it yourself. The only reason I mention that is because I want, to, I want us to pause on this subject because no one seems to be talking about it a lot. The poison you let into your own life are the stories that you tell yourself. Allow me to point out what we as human beings do. This is our process. We see and hear. Now, I saw and I heard, and I know that I saw and I heard. But what we do next is we tell ourselves a story. We make a conclusion. We jump to a conclusion. Now, here's where it becomes poison. This is fact. This is not. But we see this as fact. It's our conclusion. So, of course, it's right. And it's fact. She looked at me weird. She hates me. Now, I have no clear evidence that she hates me. That is not fact. But I turn it into fact because I misunderstand that it's simply the story I'm telling myself. She doesn't hate you. And just because you saw a look doesn't mean she hates you. Now, when we tell ourselves a story, it creates an emotion. The story creates an emotion. The emotion leads to action. And what I saw and what I heard now creates an action, or better put, a reaction. Now this, if you've ever read Victor Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, this is the space he talks about. This is the space where I gain freedom or become a slave. This is where we exercise agency more than any other space in our life. The space between what I saw and heard and what I did. But let's let's push the space out and digest the pieces. This is what I saw and heard. 
And this is the story I told myself. Are you smart enough to identify the difference between what you saw and heard and what you concluded? That is where you have freedom or become a slave. Because if you can understand that I made this up, I filled in the gaps and I made this up. And that led to an emotion which led to action. So let's suppose I want to change my action. I can't change what I saw and heard. But what can I change? The story I told myself. That is often the enemy disguised as a friend. That is your Noah. Let me give a couple of examples, okay? Let me just example this to death until it becomes, oh, I can, I can see it. Let me give you an example, okay? I'm driving down a rural road in my brand new car, my brand new Toyota Tacoma, my 2024 Toyota Tacoma, fire red, my dream car. My dream vehicle is not a car. Don't call my truck a car. <laughs> and I am loving the smell of the new car. And as I look out in the distance, I see a boy about 11 years old. And that's odd because he's standing near the road. And I'm already a little nervous. A boy standing near the road. And I see him reach down, pick something up, and cock his arm. I can see a boy with a cocked arm. And as I approach, he throws that rock at my windshield. I just saw an 11-year-old boy throw a rock at my brand new windshield. Now that's the fact that I have. Boy, rock, windshield, crack. Now tell me the story I tell myself. Every single one of us are going to tell us the same story. What a little punk. What a little punk. In almost every story, he's a deviant boy. Now that story is going to create emotion. What's the emotion that happens this quickly when I tell myself that story? Anger. And what actions flow from my anger? We slam down, we, I slam on the truck's brakes. I'm going to find the boy. We're going to find his parents, and they are going to fix this windshield. Because I'm mad. So I slam on the brakes, and I back up, and the little boy comes running up to me. Oh, mister, thank you for stopping. I didn't know how to stop you. My brother's in the blood. My, blo my brother in the ditch, coughing up blood. Now, all of a sudden, tell me what happened in your head. Your story changed. My story just changed. I still, 11-year-old boy who still threw a rock through my windshield. But what little piece of information did he just add? You wouldn't have stopped. Do you think I would have stopped for a boy doing this on the side of the road? No. And the five in front of me didn't either. And now I stopped. Tell me what you're telling yourself about the boy. You just called him a deviant little brat. And that fast, what does he become? A hero, a hero. 
Now, what's my emotion? My emotion just went from very angry to compassion. compassion. Because I did what? I changed my story. And feeling compassion, what's my action? Now, is it safe for me to now admit the story I first made up was wrong? If I had gone back in time and told that self, the moment I felt I told myself story number one, if I had told myself at that moment that story number one was wrong, would I have believed myself? There's the problem. There's the poison. There's the poison that we swallow. I am telling myself a false story that's making me angry. And if anyone were to stop me right now, they would have a hard time convincing me that I believe a false story. So how are you going to get the poison out of your life? By believing that the story is false. How are you going to get the poison out of your life by telling yourself the story's false? You see the challenge? She said, she said, and instantly I'm reacting. How dare she? Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. I am telling myself a story and I don't have all the evidence to declare that it's true. I don't want this emotion. Therefore, I need to change my story. Here's the, here's the reality. <clears throat> when we were writing the book, a friend of mine wrote the book and I with together, we gathered a whole bunch of people into study groups. And we're trying to convince them to change their stories, that we need to change our stories. It's the only way we'll have control over our emotions is if we learn to change our stories. And at one point in the discussion, this woman tells a story. Here's her story. No, 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 no. At one point in the discussion, this woman, woman A, kind of criticizes us and says, well, you can't just make up a story. You can't just make up a story. That was her comment. Now, fast forward. We're having a little discussion, and this woman tells us her story, one of her stories. She works at a bank. She is the assistant to a, a branch manager. And the bank president, it's a local bank, bank. I'll probably tell you which one it is, so I gotta be careful. <laughs> the president of the bank happens to be in Utah one day and asks for all of the branch managers to come to a meeting because the bank is struggling. And they wanna talk about some ideas to improve the bank. Well, this particular branch manager brings this woman at, with, her, with her, with him. And while they're at the meeting, the woman has a great idea, but doesn't dare share it. I'm a nobody here, I'm not gonna share my idea. So she doesn't. And she feels bad, and the president says, look, if any of you have any other ideas, please email me. So that night, she emails the, bran the branch president, the bank president, and says, hey, I had an idea. 
And he emails right back and says, I love that. That's a fantastic idea. Thank you. Now she tells herself, he's just humoring me. He's just humoring me. He doesn't think it's a good idea. I'm dumb. I should never have sent that email. Now, do you see the two dots I'm about to connect? She was critical earlier because what did she say? You can't know. What did she say in criticism? You can't just make up a story until someone pointed out what? You just made up that story. You have no evidence that he thought that. You have no evidence. You have no more evidence that he thought that than that he thought he was very genuine. You had a great idea. And all of a sudden, I just, it was an epiphany for me watching that exchange to realize the story I make up in the beginning is a made up story. And until I realize I'm making the story up anyway, so why not tell a story that creates the emotion I want? Then I am in control and they are not. And that makes all the difference. I am not subject to someone else controlling my emotion. I choose my emotion by choosing my story. If you're going to make one up anyway, why not make one up that control that gives you the emotion you want to have? Let me give you an example. I know a woman who has a horrible mother-in-law that's very critical. Um, if you've ever, ever watched Everybody's Ro Loves Raymond, <clears throat> this is Deborah and she's Marie. She has a mother-in-law that criticizes her cooking, her cleaning, everything. She's constantly critical. Now, tell me what a mother-in-law critical of everything that you do is doing. What's the most common story you're going to tell yourself when your mother-in-law criticizes everything that you do? She hates me. She thinks her son could do better than I can do, than, than me. She thinks her son could have done better. Now, how's anyone going to react to that story? She thinks he could have done better than me. I'm going to feel horrible. And what's going to happen every time my mother-in-law comes over? So this woman said to herself, I am going to change my story. I am going to change my story. So one day she sat, she thought to herself, why might my mother-in-law be so critical of me? And a light went on and she added to the, she changed the story by adding a few facts that she began to see. Do you see it? Why would a mother-in-law be so critical of a daughter-in-law? Because he would rather be with her and not mom. That's the real problem. He, and she realized it was like a light went on. He chose me. 
He comes home with me. He eats my food. And a light went on. And she just changed her story. Now tell me her new emotion. <laughs> What's her new emotion? Compassion, right? I don't even know what the emotion is, but it's a little bit of neener, neener, neener. <laughs> but what isn't the emotion? The tearing down that she was doing earlier. If you're going to make up a story anyway, why not make up a story that is that creates the emotion you choose in the moment? You have the power to change the story. I guarantee every negative emotion you are experiencing comes from a story you have made up. God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me is not a fact. It is a story you're telling yourself and you're making it up and it's creating horrible emotions. So if you're making up that story anyway, why not make up a story that changes the emotion into the one you want? You get to control your emotion. And the only way to do it is to claim the responsibility to change the story. Whatever he said, whatever she said, whatever he did, whatever she did, you're pretty much making up a story anyway. Why not make up a different story and change your emotion? The poison in you is your own making. Change the story. Now, let me give you a harsh example, and I'm just going to quote a therapist. Okay, this is the experience of a therapist, because I wouldn't touch this without being a therapist and say it in class. But he was helping a woman who was abused by her father, sexually, mentally, verbally abused by her father. And she had some very, very negative emotions towards him and towards herself. And those negative emotions were having a tremendous impact on her life. The therapist asked her one day, if she could change her story. And he initially thought, how can I change my story? He abused me. I know that. I was there. He abused me. He said that. He did this. How can I change my story? She thought a great deal about that until one day she decided to change why he was doing that. She asked herself, why would a reasonable, rational human being do what he did? Why? 
And she began to see little pieces in his life that allowed her, instead of anger, to feel pity. That his life came to that, that he would do that. And instead of anger, she changed her emotion into pity. A desire, she felt sorry that his life became that. Now, what kind of actions are going to flow out of pity instead of anger? Do you see what she did? Now, that's a harsh case. But I bear you my testimony. I bear you my witness that the the emotion that's poisoning you, the actions and the emotions that are poisoning you, are your own making. They are coming from the story you're telling yourself. If you want to keep it up, it's going to poison you. So change your story and get rid of the wheat, get rid of the terror. Get rid of the terror that's disguised as wheat because it's your story. Okay, there's number one. Thoughts? Comments? Brother Gunther, you said you can't find any scriptures. I'm thinking of a whole ton of them. Nephi, he tried his best to be a good brother. But eventually, you've got to set a boundary so he just moves. I forward. can show this right. pattern. I just can't have the Lord tell you to change your story is what right. I meant. And then like Ammon, they, they thought the Lamanites, just, just don't go there. What yeah. did he do? He went there anyway, yeah. and he changed what they all believe Lamanites were. They weren't bad. They just thought Nephites were bad. Yeah. I, I think they have tons of stories. Where you, will, stories. you will illustrate it all over the scriptures, but you're not going to find the Lord telling you to change your story unless you look in reverse. Okay, any other thoughts? Heavy? Will you think about that? Will you think about owning the story and changing it to the emotion that I want to have. Okay, number two. Let me introduce another tear disguised as a wheat, and it's oh so common in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It is poisoning a lot of people that I dearly love. Paul gave this one a title. Now, the title is a little misleading, but it's, it's a title. So I'm going to use this title, and I'm going to explain what the title means. Paul said, avoid doubtful disputations. So there is the tear, the tear disguised as a wheat, doubtful disputations. Turn with me to Romans chapter 14. This one I can go to book, chapter, and verse and say, there is the instructions from the prophet on what to do. Turn to Romans chapter 14. I'm going to pull this one up so we can read this together. Romans chapter 14. All right, New Testament. Okay, here we go. Verse number one. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye 
but not to doubtful disputations. Then he's going to explain. Now, he's going to use food. Let's be clear. There are not very many things Heavenly Father has said we all have to do. I think I could probably count them on one or two hands. The doctrines that everyone has to do this. Um, give me a few. You cannot enter into the highest degree of the celestial kingdom unless you enter into the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. There are no exceptions. Everyone has to do that. Okay, there's one. But if you really look at the gospel, there are not very many of them. Instead, what does the Lord do? He teaches correct principles and allows us to govern ourselves. Food, attire. All of a sudden, there's a lot more personal choice in the gospel than we realize. The Lord has said, everyone has to keep the Sabbath day holy. There's the command. Everyone needs to keep the Sabbath day holy. But how you do that, has he ever given a list of instructions? And that's where the gospel gets a little fuzzy because everyone has to decide how. Now, what if someone says, no TV? We are not going to watch TV on Sunday. That's violating the Sabbath day. And what if someone else says, you stay dressed up after church. You stay in your church clothes all day long. And what if someone else says, no, I don't want to stay. I, I, I don't want my kids to resent church by staying in their uncomfortable church clothes all day. Do you see how there's a lot of room in the gospel for personal decisions? Now, here's the doubtful disputation. The doubtful disputa disputation is when I take a personal interpretation and impose it upon everyone. Because it's right for me, what do I assume? It's right for everyone. Do you see, are you starting to see doubtful disputations all over the church? Now, he's going to use food as an example. One believeth that he may eat all things. Another who is weak eateth herbs. Now, here's the problem. Tell me the verbs that jump out of the page. Tell me the words here. What's the problem with doubtful disputations? So one person says, let's modernize it. Okay, let's modernize it. Let, let, let's modernize it. There are those who believe all forms of caffeine are against the word of wisdom. Because coffee and tea are against the word of wisdom and they can contain caffeine, they make the assumption that all forms of caffeine are against the word of wisdom. So you better not drink Coke. No Coke. Coke is against the word of wisdom. You cannot be a faithful member of the church and drink Coke. Anyone know someone who adamantly would say that? I know plenty. I grew up with them. Other people will say, no, Coke is not against the word of wisdom. Show me any doctrine. Show me any, any temple recommend question. You show me anywhere that this church declares that caffeinated drinks are against the word of wisdom. I am drinking Coke. Now, tell me what these two, look at verse 3. 
and tell me the words that these two are going to do to each other. First, one of them is going to despise. And one is going to, there they are. If I were to walk into this classroom drinking a Coke, there are some students who would go, <gasps> no more Holy Ghost. He can't teach the gospel. Right? Judgment. And people who drink Coke and hear their judgment do what? You holier than thou stick in the muds. I despise you. Now, the whole time Jesus is saying what? Died for you, died for you. I died for you, died for you. And why this? And what did he say as soon as he came to the Americans? The first doctrine he taught, contention is not of me. Whatever is causing the despise and the judgment, not of me. And I love that he says, where is it? Verse 17, the kingdom of God is not caffeinated drinks. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We need to end the doubtful disputations. And the way to end it is to accept that what is right for you is not necessarily right for me. I don't need you throwing it in my face and I don't need the weight of guilt on my shoulders. How much weight on your shoulders is because someone else thinks you should do this and you don't. That is a burden that is harming this church. It is blocking revelation. You get to decide what is right for you. I do not have the right to decide what is right for someone else. But what I want to talk about today is I do not have to feel guilty for not doing what someone else says I should be doing. Dylan, I'm going to use you guys as an example, and I hope I don't offend you, but you've been married for how long now? And no children. And no children. I've been watching her come to my class for a year and no children. Now, how many people, I wonder how many people in their lives have used that as a doubtful disputation. You are living inappropriately, 
because you're not doing what I think you should do. And I guarantee that has been a weight on their shoulders and on their shoulders. Because we're doing what is right for us. And we get to decide what is right for us. And just because something was right for you does not give you the right to impose it on us. That's shame on them. But what's the shame on me? I am not going to live with the guilt of not living my life the way you think I should live my life. That guilt is what's interfering with revelation. And it needs to change. How many children you have, when you have them, how you raise them, what school you send them to? Guess whose choice that is? That is your choice. With Heavenly Father's help, it is no one else's choice. But how many people are going to tell you what you should do? She's, she's smiling back there, right? This is painful, isn't it? We beat ourselves up. And yet, Jesus would say what? Died for you, died for you. I died for the Coke drinker. I died for the Coke drinker, you non-Coke drinker. And I died for the non-Coke drinker, you Coke drinker. I died for them both. I love them both. They're still, I love them. And you need to love them. Do you see the, do you see the tear? Can you see the tear? I'll just, I can give you a thousand examples that will help you clarify. Do you see the tear? So the problem here is I don't have the right to tell you what is right for you because it's right for me. And you need to stop living under the guilt of not doing what someone else says you should do. Mission or no mission, right? Were there those that put a lot of pressure on you? It happens. This is, oh, if you don't go on a mission, you're not doing what's right. No one should serve a mission because someone else says it's right for them. Would you agree with that? Do we all agree with that statement? No one should serve a mission because someone else says it's the right thing for them. You should serve a mission. Why? Kaylee, why? Because she wants to. Do you see, owning the story and owning my choices and not living in the guilt of other people telling me what I should and shouldn't be doing. Food you eat. Some people say meat, no meat. And what do people who say no meat often do to the people who eat meat? Do you know what they did to kill that cow? How could you support that? You inhumane person. And what do the meat eaters do to the people who are doing that? I hate you. 
I despise you. And Jesus says, died for you, died for you. <laughs> the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Have children when it's right for you to have children. Have the number you should have. Jen and I have 10, all you sinners. She's the same. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is there's a perceived. My wife, not one time, not one time has ever suggested that anyone should have the number of children that she had. She's never said that. In fact, she said just the opposite. But I know people that in her presence feel uncomfortable because they haven't had more children. It's a perceived weight. And yet my wife has never, ever said anything. But all of these little how many you have and when you have them and what you do for a living and, and who does the who works and who doesn't work and what schools you go to. We turn this into a club that we beat over everyone's head. Don't let it. Don't be the one that imposes the club on someone else. Don't tell anyone what they need to do. I'll just give you one more example. My sweet father, bless his soul, rest in peace, Jed. But I despised some of the things he did. And I need to repent because Jesus died for my dad. And dad, Jesus died for me. But my dad was very particular about what food you eat and what food you don't. One day, my sweet wife was there with one of our one, a one-year-old. And my dad was eating one of his healthy crap treats. And he handed it to my son and said to my wife, it's probably the only healthy thing he'll eat today. Yeah. Just banged her on the side of the head with a club. And my wife came home despising him, right? Do you see why? And Jesus just said, Jed, I died for them and I died for you. Let's not do this. Let Bryce and Jen feed their children what they think is right. And they don't need your criticism. And Bryce and Jen, if he thinks that the right, that's the right thing to eat, let him think it. Let him have his delusions. That was a little judgmental, I know. <laughs> but do you see how easy it is? Rebecca. Yeah, I'm telling myself a story, right? Do you see the tears in our life? Now, can you see that so many of the tears really are where? Where is the tear that's poisoning me? Here, in me. And those are the tears I would invite you to pull out. The gospel, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. But righteousness and peace and joy and Jesus. I bear you my testimony. 
you can be a good, faithful, loving, dedicated, testimony-bearing member of the church and love the University of Utah. Because I'm one of them. (laughs) But a lot of people are going to walk out of my class saying, "I, I can't, I can't be taught by a Ute. I can't, Lord, I just can't. He just, he doesn't know the gospel. May we rid our lives of the tares that are poisoning us and interfering with revelation. If you listen, the Holy Ghost will tell you which ones they are. Change your story. Take the weight off your shoulders of what other people are telling you you should do. And you live the gospel. You tell Jesus. You and Jesus decide what's right for you. How you live the gospel is your choice and your judgment, but your choice. Own it and watch how free you feel to hear His voice in your life. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.